Welcome everyone. I'm Jeffrey Goodman, Director of Marketing and Development for the YMCA of Northwest Louisiana. And we're here today for Shreveport Bossier, my city, my community, my home. And my guest today is a special guest. I've got the DA, James Stewart. So, DA Stewart, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me this morning. Absolutely. So, um, we're going to start on with a little background on you. Um, You're the son of United States Postman Richard G. Stewart Sr. and the late Kareen, is that how you? Kareen. Kareen Stewart. Your family has an incredible legacy in this community. One of your brothers is retired United States Navy Captain Judge Advocate General Richard G. Stewart Jr. And you have another brother. Do you only have two brothers? Correct. Your other brother is Chief Judge of the United States Fifth Circuit Court of Appeal, Carl E. Stewart Sr. Correct. Talk to me about your family upbringing. How do you explain and what do you attribute you and your siblings' unusual success to? I grew up in uh, the lakeside area of uh, Shreveport. I was born in 1955. My two brothers are older than I am. Uh, they primary their years was doing segregation. There's a transition for me, probably in the uh, seventh or eighth grade. Uh, but you know, my, my parents were very hardworking. Uh, three boys. My father set certain boundaries and just basic rules of behavior. My brother always likes to say he, when he got our report cards, he looked at conduct first, grades second, because with him, uh, having discipline and conduct was what was expected of you. And uh, I always remember growing up, uh, my father would take you to school the first morning and, and he would tell the teacher, uh, you could paddle him, belt, whatever you needed to do, and then send me a note home and I'll take care of it when I get home. So. You always understood that you had these levels of expectations and behavior, uh, and that if you did not meet those, then you had to deal with you know the, the consequences of it, and that stick with you. And then the second thing he always told me was, you know, uh, you had to mind your brothers. You know, your brothers are older than you, and whatever they uh, tell you to do, so long as it's not illegal, then you had to 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 do what was told. Um, now, growing up in house, I always created a few little battles and all that, but you know, pretty much that's how we operated. And you just grew up. Uh, he he all even though we grew up during these times, he always said you can be whatever you want to be. Uh, there there no nothing to keep you from being what you want to be. And my brothers were achievers, and he would say, "Well, you don't have to do exactly what they're doing, but you you have the ability to do the things that you want to do." And and secondly, he supported us. I mean, clearly that they supported us. So long as we were doing anything positive, uh, he would do whatever he needed to do. Uh, when you're growing up, you don't really have a sense of economics. You, you don't know, uh, you know, different categories of money and all that. But, you know, looking back, my father worked hard. He had a good job, but he had to work hard for it. And he always had a second job because he had a second job because he, he wanted us to be able to do things. And so he worked very hard. My mother worked very hard and she worked to keep a household and for us to be able to eat what we wanted to eat and 
clothed and the things we needed to be clothed in. So I think just having that and, and having to go to church, you know, we had to go to church. And uh, we grew up Methodist. Uh, my mother was Baptist, but we grew up Methodist. My father was, he was active in the church and we had to be active in the church also growing up. And I, I always tell people uh, who are raising kids, your, your kids look at what you do and look at how you operate. And if they like you, they try to be like you. And so you always want to have this positive effect on your kids. And my, my father always had a, a very positive effect. He always had books and magazines in the house. He, he would take Time and Newsweek and Sports Illustrated and just any kind of book. And he encouraged us to read. We were the first people on our uh, street to have uh, World Book Encyclopedias. Nobody knows what that is anymore. But we had World Books Encyclopedia because he wanted to challenge us to read and to have knowledge and, 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 and to look outside of schools. He also wanted us to uh, be service-oriented, uh, to do things. Uh, so we were in scouting and uh, all kind of other groups. And uh, that's kind of my childhood. So, you know, growing up, uh, I went to West Freeport. Then it was six years of elementary. Then I did a year at J.S. Clark <clears throat> School. And then I switched to Broadmoor uh, doing freedom of choice. Uh, and then in my ninth grade at Broadmoor, they had uh, uh, the desegregation of Caterpillar Schools. So I did Broadmoor, then I went to Bird. I uh, went to Bird for four years. Uh, graduated in 1973. Uh, graduated with some pretty good guys like Mike Leonard, uh, Marshall Jones. Uh, had a pretty good class. And then I decided I, I, uh, I didn't want to go to schools that I would come home every weekend. I wanted to go far enough away uh, that I could see new things, but still not so far I could come home. So I decided to go to school in New Orleans uh, rather than Monroe or Baton Rouge. Ended up at the University of New Orleans, uh, majored in political science. The normal attrition rate at the University of New Orleans at that time was five and a half years. It was then the second largest school in the state. Uh, but I managed to get out in four. So I got out in four, uh, wanted to be a lawyer, always wanted to be a lawyer. Uh, I always teased my brothers that I never heard they wanted to be lawyers. Uh, but I grew up watching Perry Mason and just wanted to be a lawyer. So fortunately, I was able to go to Loyola uh, Law School where my two brothers had also uh, gone. And I went to Loyola, uh, had no plans whatsoever coming back to Shreveport. I uh, was actually looking for a job in New Orleans and you know, one fateful day, Charles Grubb, I don't know if you remember him, Charles Grubb was the city attorney. And he showed up at Loyola and we talked and you can understand when, when you meet and everything's going right and he offered me a job. And you know when you get out of school, you have uh, debt and all this, you, you want a job, so he offered me a job. I took the bar, came back to Shreveport, and uh, passed the bar on the first time, became assistant city attorney. This was under the administration of uh, Bill Hanna. Uh, so Bill Hanna was the mayor at that time I worked for. And it, it's kind of funny, Bill Hanna was the mayor, uh, and Tom Arsenault and Greg Todd were on the city council at that time. So it's my first time I met them in the 80s and uh, 
and Hussey right. too, right? Hussey, Hussey was on the city council Hussey at that was time. On the city council, so it was some kind of some his, historical people on the city council, and that was, I believe, the first city council under the new government uh, that changed. When I grew up, it was uh, George Dartois, Commissioner of Public Safety, and uh, some other different people, but they changed. I think uh, uh, Don Hathaway was the sheriff at that time. So I worked there a year and a half, and I'd always wanted to be a prosecutor, so uh, one of the best things that ever happened to me was that uh, Paul Cummings hired me. And uh, I'll always be grateful for Paul Cummings because he created an atmosphere that you kind of grew as your abilities were. There was no caste system. It, you know, here, here it is, if you do it, you can rise at the level that you need to, and he, he kind of supported anything uh, that you did. So. I was in the DA's office for eight and a half years. The last year and a half, he made me the first assistant. So I learned a lot in 1990. Uh, ran for district judge. Uh, back then, you had to run parish-wide. So I was elected in November of 1990. Uh, took the bench in January of 1991. Uh, I was on the district court bench until 1994. Uh, 19, uh, my brother had gone, we were actually on the district court bench for about maybe less than a year. He had gone to the Second Circuit Court of Appeals and while there, Bill Clinton appointed him, I believe in April of 94, to go to the Fifth Circuit, Federal Fifth Circuit. So his seat on the Court of Appeals was open. Uh, I ran unopposed, I think I started there September of 1994. Stayed at the Court of Appeals from 1994 uh, until September of 2015. <laughs> uh, there were a lot of people came in. They, uh, Charles Scott had passed away in April of that year, and they wanted somebody to be. DA. He was the DA at the time. He was the DA, and uh, I had actually been on the uh, bench with Charles Scott uh, while I was at Cattle District Court. Uh, my good friend uh, Scott Creighton and I were both on the bench with Charles Scott. So. He uh, died, and uh, some people wanted me to run. Uh, it was a pretty tough decision because if you're a judge and you want to run for another uh, non-judge seat, you have to actually leave that. So I had to retire, uh, and it was very comfortable there. I had been doing it for a long time, and I had a routine down in order to do it. But God takes you in directions sometimes. I always tell people, he prepares you for things and you don't realize you're being prepared for it. But So I ran, I was elected and, uh, and sworn in December 1st, uh, 2015. And so since that time, I've been the Cattle Parish District Attorney. Which is perfect. So for, for the layperson out there, in fairly simple terms, talk to me about the role of the Cattle Parish District Attorney what is your role and your main responsibilities? The district attorney's office uh, is responsible for the prosecution of all criminal cases within their jurisdiction. There are 42 jurisdictions. Uh, it just so happens that Cattle Parish has, as a parish, has one judicial district. So we're, prosecu we're, we're in charge of who, what, where, and how anyone gets prosecuted within the parish of Cato for any crime against the state. We have some other related duties, but that's our primary for function to screen, 
any case and determine what somebody's going to be charged with and to go forward and determine what that disposition on doing. And screening also means we determine people may not get prosecuted because the level of evidence is not there. Juvenile and adult? Juvenile and adult. All criminal matters. We also do child support, uh, which a lot of people don't realize, but we do prosecute child support. And you once said, this is a quote I pulled from you, the criminal justice system, the Constitution of the United States, was not built for speed. Would you mind explaining and talking a little more about that quote? So basically we operate under the Constitution of the United States and the Constitution of the state of Louisiana and all the statutes and rules that we that have been created by the legislature, that there's an interdependence. Uh, uh, and we learned this in basic, uh, in civics class, you, you know, you have a judiciary, you have the executive, and you have a legislative, and everybody has a role in it. So the legislature passes laws, and it's our job to enforce those laws through the prosecution process. When the founders of the United States created this process, they didn't put a clock to it. They just said, here is how you need to do this. And as societies become more sophisticated, uh, it has still not changed those basic tenets that the uh, uh, United States Constitution and other rules have, have stated for that. There are things we have to do, uh, and we cannot cut corners. So it's the same process that we have 10 crimes, and it's the same process that we have a thousand crimes. We have to do everything. And it's not, okay, if if people are scared right now, we can change it. If they're fine, we can change it. It's, it's like going to a hospital. If you go to a hospital and you go to a doctor, he has certain things he has to do. And he can't go from step one to step 10. You've got to do all the steps in between. So when I say it's not built for speed, uh, what's a date of, uh, a month to somebody, uh, maybe a, a day to us. I mean, we, we just operate because we have to, in order to protect the rights of everyone, we have to follow those processes. And take me quickly through the process. A, a crime is, is, is committed and you get involved. So what, what happens, just take me through kind of the steps of how that may or may not come in front of a grand jury and just uh, what that process looks like and what the timeline is associated with that. Well, basically, uh, if you remember that, 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 and I'll say peace officers because that's the Shreveport Police Department, the Sheriff's Office, the State Police, and the local agencies, uh, their job is to investigate. Uh, if a crime is committed, when you call 911, uh, you get one of those peace officers, and their job is to go out and investigate. Uh, they have the power of arrest, and they have the power to investigate, so they investigate and they arrest. We screen and charge, and I think one of the misnomers people get is that when people are arrested, sometimes uh, they'll say, well, they're arrested on this charge, Well, that's just a preliminary determination. Arrests are made on probable cause, which is a lower standard, we have to prosecute on proof beyond a reasonable doubt. So that's that constitutional standard. So we screen every charge based on proof beyond a reasonable doubt. Uh, there are timelines. Uh, a person can be arrested and kept 
in jail for 72 hours uh, before they have to be brought in front of a judge and, and, and a bond is set. Uh, weekends and holidays don't count. So for instance, this weekend is uh, Veterans Day is on Friday. Well, if you got arrested Thursday night at, uh, uh, at 11.59 uh, p.m., the 72 hours doesn't really start until Sunday morning, uh, Monday morning at 12 or 1. So that's dead time. So a person can be all that period of time. Then the judges get in and they get to determine uh, whether or not you stay in jail or if so, what your bond will be and whether or not you are uh, other consequences of that. We get involved in the screening process when we get the information and reports from the police. So what I try to tell people is something can happen. You see it on the news. We don't know any more than you know about it, you know, unless we've gotten a phone call wanting us to do warrants or something like that. But generally, until we get the information and the investigation, at that point, we screen. And constitutionally, we screen based on proof beyond a reasonable doubt, which means we go through the factual basis. If there is something we can work with, then we have to determine the correct charge. A person is not charged until we file either an indictment or bill of information. The Constitution of the United States says no person shall have to face any charges for any crime where there's a possibility of life imprisonment or the death penalty unless they're indicted by a grand jury. So any charge, when somebody's charged with uh, first degree rape, uh, any type of, of homicide that has the potential for life imprisonment and some other crimes, the DA does not have the power to charge you. Those matters have to be sent to a grand jury. Basically, a grand jury is 12 people who've been selected randomly uh, by the court. The DA does not accept, does not select the grand jury. So people get served and say, you gotta come be selected for a jury. The judge determines who's gonna be on the grand jury. Then he puts, gives it to the DA's office and we're responsible for giving them the law presenting the evidence to them and have them determine whether or not. And it's totally independent. Uh, they get the final word, uh, they get to deliberate, and then if they determine that there's enough to go forward, then they sign an indictment. It's filed in court and we go forward. On, a, on other charges, uh, when a person comes to court, we have X number of days to file a bill of information. So a person can be arrested if during that period of time, no bill of information is filed, it doesn't matter what the peace officer has determined, that person would be released from jail. And that's basically the prosecution. So uh, on uh, felonies, uh, we have 60 days before we have to file a bill of information. So person, that's when I say it's not built for speed. So that's two months period, period of time with some exceptions that a person could be incarcerated or, or held for a, a charge. And there's really not anything going but a determination. So that's two months. And then once we file a bill of information, there are certain constitutional uh, rights that they have. Uh, they have a right to preliminary examination. They have a right to have counsel. Uh, they have a right to certain motions. They have a right to certain information they have to have. They have rights to file motions to suppress this. They have other rights. So during all this period of time, all this is going on. So when you have 5,000 open cases, uh, 
things are operating at different levels, and therefore that's why I say it's not built for speed. And for people out there listening who say, I love my community, I've had enough of the crime, I'm convinced I need to do my part. What do you have to say to those people? What can they do? How can they get involved and play a role in helping our crime situation in the future? Yeah, I've always, uh, number one, I believe in the education system. And I believe that if we keep our kids in schools and we educate them and we give them those basic tenets we have, we reduce crime. Studies have shown that when we have kids who who matriculate properly through the school system and they're, they're occupied and they have goals and aspirations, uh, those uh, kids tend not to become involved in, in crime. Secondly, I think people need to be constant, uh, look in your neighborhoods, uh, make sure that you don't see kids walking the street. The other day I was going to get a haircut and I saw 12 kids walking down the street during the school day. Well, I called the city marshal's office and said, hey, can you come check? Just don't ignore things that, that you see. Uh, protect yourself, have lighting on your house, keep your cars locked. Don't, don't create these opportunities for those who want to. Uh, be involved in the community, uh, be involved in scouting, the, the YMCA, any positive uh, uh, baseball, soccer, any positive thing that can keep kids busy and give them different direction. You know, we're always going to have sickness. We're always going to have a, a certain level of crime. Uh, but what we want to do in the community is limit it to as low as possible. I just think you have to be involved. Find something that you can be involved in to help someone stay out of the criminal means. Juvenile court is right for people to come in <clears throat> and volunteer. Uh, there's the Volunteers for Youth Justice who are always looking for people to volunteer. Uh, if we can keep kids out of the juvenile system or once they get in the juvenile system, turn, their around, turn them around so that they do not gravitate as adults into the criminal system or have a much better uh, opportunity. Uh, one of the problems we have now is people not wanting to be involved. They don't want to be witnesses. They see things that happen and they close their eyes. And that makes it very difficult for uh, the peace officers who are out there trying to investigate. It makes it uh, almost impossible for us to go forward. Uh, someone can talk to a peace officer, primarily the Shreveport Police Department, and say, I saw something. But under our Constitution, unless they're willing to come and take an oath and sit on the stand and face the person who's charged. That doesn't do us any good. And that's one of the difficulties. Sometimes people will say, well, I saw this, but I don't put my name on a report and I don't want to testify. Well, that's good, but it's not great because it doesn't allow us to go forward. So people got to be willing to come and say, yes, you know, I saw what happened. Yes, this person did something. And, and, and so that we can convict those people who are charged with and you've, you mentioned you've been the DA since 2015. Correct. Talk, if you could, about some of the areas of crime in our community and or your position as DA that are more difficult or challenging today than they were seven years ago when you first took office. Well, 
we've had an, uh, the, the pandemic kind of changed a lot of things. During the pandemic, we really saw an uptick of domestic violence. Uh, people uh, could not get out like they uh, normally would. Uh, for a period of time, kids were at home. Uh, people were home, working from home for their jobs if they were working. Everybody was under everybody's foot and there was a lot of, lot of tension going on. And so we had a real uptick of domestic violence. And what happens uh, in domestic violence cases, you have the initial incident and then you had this period of time where people calm down and then somebody said, well, I don't wanna go forward with it. It makes us difficult to, for us to prosecute those cases and prevent a, a second incident. And a lot of times, by the time they report it, this is not the first time it has happened. It's the second or third time that it's happened and it becomes a, 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 a way of life for certain people. Uh, it's very tough on the victim because the victim sometimes is dependent upon the person who's actually committing the crime. And so, uh, you know, we used to hear people say, well, I don't want him to go to jail, just tell him to stop it. Well, that doesn't always work, at that, that process. That's one category. Secondly, we saw an uptick of valid gun-related crime by people 20, I'll say 25 and under. Uh, a lot of young people who were using guns to solve their differences with other people. Uh, it's, it's gang loosely. Uh, in the past, gangs were drug-oriented, but these are just gangs of young people with guns. They have automatic weapons or semi-automatic weapons, and the difficulty is is that uh, we can't find people who want to come in and say that these people committed crimes. These are not necessarily people who serve time in state prison and who got released and they're back committing crimes. This is a a new generation of criminals and, and they're indiscriminate in when they're committing crimes. It might be 12 o'clock in the daytime and they decide to do it. And so that was a new category of crime. And I think that was challenging for us and both challenging for uh, peace officers, those, those two particular times. And then there are these crimes of uh, rape and uh, uh, among peoples and, and, and families, uh, uh, young kids who are being abused by adults within familiar relationships uh, that we were trying to get our handle on that, that seemed to uh, roll even siblings or cousins or within those, we noticed a, a large amount of those and those were hard to get a grip on. And I think what a lot of people don't realize, and I didn't realize in, until I started preparing for today is Alongside that, you had the court shut down for a certain amount of time, right? Uh, because it, so talk to me a little bit about that. So you have an uptick in certain crimes, and, and you can't even do your job because of COVID and, and, and some of the rules and regulations around the pandemic. Correct. So when, when COVID hit, I mean, this was new for everybody. So because of the, no one knew how the disease, they knew how it spread, but... There was no way to prevent it. There were no vaccines. There was nothing going. So basically, uh, court shut down. I mean, basically, they just told us we could not have court. You couldn't have people in, in uh, together in, in, a, in a place. So we're a people person. We were people. Uh, we, we, we have people. We had to have people come to court. We had to have jurors. 
you had to have defendants, you got to have the judges, the defense lawyers. And so we went through more than two years of courts being shut down to on a particular situation. Or even when we started back, we would have incidences where somebody caught it. And because of what the CDC said, uh, you had to shut down again. So we tried to start trials, we couldn't trial. Now, fortunately, in Cattle, uh, we worked around it. Actually, in uh, 2020, we tried more cases than any jurisdiction in the, in the state. And if you took the t top three jurisdictions and added their numbers together, we still exceeded it. In uh, 2021, we were second to Jefferson Parish by one trial. So during those two periods of time, we managed to do what other people could not do. But the difficulty, it was just hard to even have court. And, and, and another part of it that people didn't understand was defendants realized that if they called in and said, I have COVID, you would tell them not to come to court. So they would put their cases off because it was hard to verify. We, we had people who were incarcerated who or on lockdown because they had COVID in certain pods. So it just really created a difficulty us with trying to move cases when we actually could not be in court. And I'm down to my final question with you. Let's take that last question and, and flip it on its side. So what are some areas of crime in our community we've improved upon, or in other words, in terms of your office, what are some of the things that you feel are improving or are better today than they were back in 2015? And what gives you hope we are headed in the right direction? Well, we have a period of time where we're having a lot of uh, car burglars, car thefts. We had individuals going through neighborhoods, pulling door handles and uh, breaking in cars. Uh, we seem to have gotten better at that. I think we've been able to work with uh, the Shreveport Police Department primarily in, in dealing with a lot of the gun crimes and, and facilitating better evidence and getting people convicted. Uh, I think right now we had 45 trials, which is the most trials we've had uh, since before 2008. Uh, and given the fact that we didn't even have January and February, it's kind of Law, so we, we may even get close to 50 trials. And you didn't have January and February because of COVID? Because of COVID, they shut us down. So This year? Uh, this year. Uh, so I think it gives me hope because we're working better with the uh, police department and trying to identify what we need to go forward. Uh, we're getting the message out to domestic violence victims that uh, you can report it. There are different support systems that we have. And uh, we're also on the other side uh, trying to work on truancy, getting kids in schools, we, we, we have a diversion program where we deal with people who need a second chance, who have nonviolent crimes that uh, may affect an individual financially, uh, but no one's been hurt and we've been able to get restitution and we've been able to turn some people around from crime. Uh, in juvenile court, they have mental health, they have drug court, they have different types of courts that can make a difference, and I think you can kind of see it turning around. Uh, we're not where we need to get, but it gives us hope in the future. I think the public is becoming more aware of, of how they can help. I, I see more and more people saying, tell me what we can do to help, and so we try to put them in situations that we can help. And so the more people that we have involved uh, 
to keep people out of the system. I mean, that's what we want to do is keep them out of the system that we can minimize crime as low as possible. Well, DA, I appreciate you. I appreciate all you're doing. Is there anything else you'd like to say about your your position, about um, just as we try and um, do better in the future around um, crime and everything else? Well, I just tell people don't don't get caught up on news stories, uh, things that you you see on TV, because sometimes they're just not totally factual, and there's there's always details that are that, that are left out. If you want to be involved, you want to be knowledgeable, you know, reach out to us. We'll be, be glad to explain how we operate, how everybody operates, and how you can help us operate. And, and that's what I'll reach out. We, we, we are committed to serving the community. Well, I appreciate your service. I appreciate you making the time when I know you don't have any. And um, appreciate you taking time to educate me and everyone out there today. Thank you for having me. And, uh, Glad to come back again. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right.